Hello. Hi. Hey. Hello. Hi. <laughs> um, it's, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm uh, really excited. My heart is especially tender to this message that uh, I'm going to be bringing today in this sermon series, Kung Fu Seals, right? How are we equipping the next generation to, to live passionately for Jesus? Uh, the reason I'm kind of tender, the reason I'm really excited about this sermon series and this sermon in particular is because a few weeks ago, I was in a room with um, 6,000 high schoolers. And this past weekend, I was in a room with 700 junior hires. And the room was really interesting for two reasons. The first, just how the volume, I mean, of, is so loud. High schoolers are so loud. Junior hires are so, I mean, when you look at a junior hire, just kind of like a little person, the amount of noise that that person can make is really, truly unbelievable, honestly. And when you get 700 of them together or 6,000 high schoolers, it's, it's amazing the building is still standing, honestly. Uh, but the second reason is because these rooms are profoundly beautiful, unspeakably beautiful. And they're not beautiful because of lights. They're not beautiful because of music. They're not beautiful because of even the amount of people that I've gathered together. They are beautiful because in one moment under heaven, we were united in our worship and adoration of the one true God. And it caused me to pause. Right? I, was, I was in those moments with these students, worshiping alongside of them, raising my hands with them as we were singing to Jesus. But I I also had to step back for a moment and just gaze, right, as you would gaze at a sunset or gaze at something unbelievably beautiful. Because I, I saw kids just screaming their surrender to Jesus. So good. And that's what this sermon series is all about. It's, it's all about that, that worship, that adoration, that next step, right, equipping the next generation and equipping us today? How do we model, how do we live a life that would inspire that kind of discipleship in Jesus? So the room was beautiful. I believe that I saw heaven in that room. But at the same time, I had a question kind of stirring in my heart. Like I was, I was putting this sermon series, this sermon together while I was at Chick. So a few weeks ago while I was with a bunch of high schoolers. Um, and the moment was beautiful. The moment was powerful. I gazed and, and I wept. But at the same time, I had to stop and ask myself, okay, what's next? Like, what happens when we, when we pour out of this room? What happens when we get out of here? Does, does heaven go with us or does heaven stay here? Do, does the beauty of this room just happen to stay in this room uh, forever remembered? Or do we live it out in the world outside? And that's really what this sermon is all about. That's really what this sermon series is all about, is equipping students and equipping us to live out our faith in real life and in real time, right? So, so the room being beautiful because we're worshiping Jesus is great for a moment, but let's expand it into a lifetime, a lifestyle, right? So today, uh, we, are, we are talking, we are, I'm preaching out of Philippians 4. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to grab them and open them up. If you don't have a Bible yet with you today, if you don't own one, we have some here in the front and some in the back, and they are free for you to take. So please take one and enjoy it. Our, our text for today is, is Philippians 4, and eight, 4, verse 8 and 9. Um, and this, 
these particular verses are really, really familiar to a lot of Christians. If you grew up in the church at all, I'm sure you've heard these verses once or twice. If you didn't grow up in the church, I'm still confident that you probably heard these more than once uh, because they're just that well known. And my hope today is, is to expose how the list that we find in Philippians 4 can impact how we interact with God on a regular basis. So the question that I have for us today that I want to wrestle through, that I want to connect, that I want to just work all the way out is, is this. How do we connect our intentions to our actions and our walk with Jesus? Right? How do, how do we bridge that gap? You know, the, the question of what happens after the room of, of these great students is really a question of intentions and actions. Who's ever had a New Year's resolution? Anyone? About three years, my res- resolution has been the exact same. I'm going to work out for an hour every day. I'm going to have a six-pack. And I'm going to be able to run as fast as I want for however long I want. Well, just let me tell you, I don't have a six-pack. Uh, I don't work out for an hour every day. Uh, and I can run, kind of. But my intentions are really good. Like, I, every year, I'm just like, yes, I am for sure going to do this. I'm going to buy running shoes. I'm going to, I'm going to do sit-ups before bed. And when I wake up, like, I'm going to give up 530. I'm going to run. It's going to feel so good. And then Jan- January 2nd comes. I'm just like, man, 530 is so early. And my bed is so warm. And I just don't want to move. But every year is the same thing. My intentions get disconnected from my actions. And it just kind of flounders, right? How often... Is that our life? Is that our life with Jesus? How often do we have the best intentions for doing something, but it's disconnected from our actual lives? That's the question for today. So as I said earlier, our main text today is Philippians 4, 8, 9. So what I want to do first is just read it out loud, and then we'll kind of dive into it. So Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Paul's encouragement here have kind of echoed through the halls of Christianity for a long time, really at the very beginning of the church. Uh, and they've, they've inspired Christian minds to think about the things of Jesus for a long time. These things that Paul lists are great. But before I go on talking about them, we have to discuss the thing. We have to stop and pause and talk about the thing in Philippians 4. Because thinking about whatever is lovely or just or pure is great, and it's a great principle and a great idea, but it's not the point. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the reason why we we fill our minds with these wonderful things or these beautiful things or these lovely or admirable things. I want to be so clear on this. The reason Paul was urging the Philippian church and why he's urging us today to take, to, to fix our minds on anything excellent or praiseworthy is so that we might find Jesus to be worthy of all praise and excellent in every way. So today we're going to talk about some really practical ways of, of instilling these things into our lives, into our day-to-day routine. But before we get there, Let's stop for a moment and recognize that this is all about Jesus. This is all about discipleship to him. This is all about following him and saying his way is great. So, uh, if you're taking notes today, I would encourage you to write this down. 
these things of Philippians 4 depend on the thing. They depend on Jesus. They lean on Jesus. They're devoid of purpose and meaning without Jesus. So let's go back to the text. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So as we dive into this text today, I want to, I want to talk a little Greek today. Not a lot of Greek, just a little Greek, so hang with me. Um, I've underlined and highlighted these two words, think and practice. Uh, and I've highlighted them because I think if we get these, un- if we understand these words, we'll really understand Paul's thrust and why he's saying what he's saying in Philippians 4. The first word here is think. In, um, in Greek, that's the Greek word legitsomai. Everyone say legitsomai. Very good. Legitsomai is where we get our English word logic. You can kind of hear it in there, legitsomai, logic, right? And Paul uses it in, a, in the present continuous tense. And what that means is it, it circles around and around and around and around. Think of it as a, as a ball circling around a sphere, kind of like the earth circling around the sun. That's where we get this idea of continuous. So in other words, what Paul is saying, he's not saying, hey, think about something lovely, or think about something admirable, or think about something just, and then you don't have to do it again. Then it's done. No, what he is saying is continuously think about these things. Continuously wash your mind with the things of Jesus in order that you might be more like him, right? The way that I think about it is my brain in the washing machine of God's kingdom, and the water is Jesus, and I'm just kind of like rolling around in there continuously on the refresh cycle of the kingdom of God. <laughs> but that's what it's like, continuously practicing these things, continuously thinking about these things. That second word, practice these things. That's the Greek word proso. Everyone say proso. Very good. That's where we get our English word process. And this is also in the present continuous sense. So what Paul is saying is put in, put in your life a process of following Jesus. Order your life accordingly that you would practice these things. And notice Paul says, do what I do, right? Which is kind of a scary thing for us to think. It's a scary thing for me to think, like to look at all of you and say, hey, if you guys want to be like Jesus, just follow me. That's really intimidating. But Paul does that. Paul says, if you want to be like Jesus, practice what I am doing, and the God of peace will be with you. And we'll talk a little bit later about how he can do that, why he can do that, what reason he has for having that. But, but the, the point here is, is I want to emphasize that these things in Philippians 4, um, that, that they are something that we come back to, that we learn, that we relearn as we move deeper into relationship with Jesus. There's a great Christian writer and theologian, his name is Eugene Peterson. He actually is responsible for the message translation, which is an excellent translation of scripture. And he has this to say. There are no experts in the company of Jesus. We are all beginners. There are no experts in the company of Jesus. We are all beginners. What Peterson is trying to expose here is is that Jesus and the things of Jesus are not topics that we learn and memorize and then have a complete understanding of. They are always, there's always more to explore. There's always more to know. God doesn't have a, a cosmic checklist of Yes, you understand this now? Great. Okay, we're going to move you to the higher level of this. You got that? Great. There are no standardized tests in the kingdom of God. And all the students in here said amen, right? So there's none of that. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's a process. And we are always beginners. I've heard it said 
that, that Jesus is always the Jedi and we are always the Padawan, right? We, we're never the master, right? He's always the master. He's always perfect. And we are constantly exploring his goodness. So all the practical options that we talk about today, all of the, the things that, that I give to you today, it's important for us to remember that it's okay that we're new, that it's okay, even no matter how long you've been following Jesus, it's okay that we are beginners because we are always beginners. But the question is, what does this look like, right? Well, how, does this, how does this play out in life? How do we constantly wash our minds in the things of Jesus? And how do we change our lives in a way that we're practicing a lifestyle of Jesus? Well, I want to talk about three things today. And the first is to start with Scripture. Begin in the text. And you might be thinking, yeah, this is church. Of course you're going to tell me to read Scripture. And yeah, we are. Like, we are going to tell you to read Scripture over and over and over again. It doesn't get old for us. It's so, so good. But the question is, why? Why do we do that? Why do we look to Scripture? Why do we start there? Well, to emphasize, I have a quick story. When I was in the sixth grade, I had a, a youth pastor who cared a lot about me. And, and I really looked up to him, like big time. And he was preaching a sermon on the importance of reading scripture and memorizing scripture. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I like this. And I was like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go home. It was at the beginning of the summer. And I'm going to read the whole Bible this summer. And I'm going to memorize as much as I can. And so I did that. I went home and I was just like pouring through. I would, every night I would read like a ton. And then I would start writing down passages of scripture and, and memorizing it as quickly as I could. And be, I remember sitting down to read memorize Isaiah 6, and I was just inspired. It was super, super cool. But I finally got to the end. And the way that I treated it was kind of like a video game. Like if I got to the end of the Bible in one summer, that I would be endowed with this supernatural power, like legacy mode. And then everyone would have to, like Christian morals would have to like bow down to me as I walked down the side. Like I was just like really, I knew that this was going to be something really significant. So I finally finished the Bible. Go to my youth pastor, and I was like, hey, guess what I did this summer? I read the whole Bible, because he said so. And, and so I just started, I, I memorized this, I know Isaiah 6, I know this, I know this, and he stops me. And he says, okay, but what do you remember? And I was like, uh, I remember all the work that I did memorizing scripture over the summer when I could have been doing other fun things. But what he meant was, how were you remembered into the family of Christ? Like, how did the reading of, the, of scripture change you? and puts you back into the flow and rhythm of God. Did it do that? And then he said something to me that I have never forgotten. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. We read the Holy Scriptures to remember. We read them to refresh our mind. Now, it's also absolutely true that we read Scripture for a lot of other reasons. We read it to be encouraged and to learn the nature and character of God uh, to enhance our worship and to know how to live a faithful and pleasing life to God. But we also need scripture to remind us of who we are and how we fit into God's story constantly, especially in this day and age when we are, when we are consistently distracted by things. Not all of them bad. Many of them probably very good. But think about how if something happens on the other side of the world, I know that if something happens on the other side of the world right now that's significant, my phone is going to buzz because... CNN is on my phone, and it's going to tell me that something happened, and I'm going to look at it and know right away. Or think about Instagram, or Facebook, or Twitter, or the nightly news. Like, we are constantly, our minds are shifting back and forth all of the time. How much more do we need to 
focus? How much more do we need to remember God and his gospel? How much more do we need to refresh our minds of the things of God and read the Holy Scriptures to remember him, to remember his activity in our lives and in our world? You see, God's Holy Scripture centers our minds on who God truly is. There's another Christian writer by the name of C.S. Lewis, and he talks about Christianity like a sunrise. And he talks about it like this. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And what he's saying here is that Jesus has an illuminating effect on the world. Right? As we follow Jesus, we begin to see things more clearly and how things are connected and how God has created the world for his purposes and his glory. And I would say, I would take that a little further and say, Scripture has an illuminating effect on who God is. Just like as we follow Jesus and as we walk with him, we begin to understand more and more of his kingdom and his purposes. The more that we dive into the Bible, the more that we understand God's word and let it really affect who we are, the better we understand God and how he works So practically, let me just tell you how this works for me. Um, I start my day with coffee. Let's be real. I start my day with coffee. But then right after that, I read scripture. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But one is because I, I feel most awake at, in the morning after coffee. Uh, I, I'm, more, I'm more creative during that time of the day. And so I read scripture. And mostly because when I was in high school, um, I was learning about tithing and giving my money to God, giving joyfully out of my money. I knew that there was like a 10% thing, but I knew that I was supposed to give joyfully. And Pastor Chris has this great phrase where he says, we're to give God our first and our best. I love that. And give joyfully. And so I began to think like, yeah, that's good. I, wa- I want to give God my money. I want to give God what I have. But at the same time, he deserves more than just my money. He deserves my time. So how am I tithing out of the economy of my time? I have 24 hours in a day. Does God get any of that? And so I started to say, yeah, like he does. He should, should absolutely get a portion of my day. I should tithe my time to God because I want to know him. And so I started tithing 30 minutes in high school. And then now it's grown to an hour. I have one hour every day out of the 24 that's God's. That I, I read scripture and, and I sometimes still memorize scripture. And I pray over scripture. But I don't do it to impress anyone anymore. Like, I'm not knocking on Pastor Chris's door every day and say, hey, guess what? Guess what I memorized last night? Guess what? You're never going to guess. You're never going to guess. Like, I just don't do that because it's, that's not the point. Like, I read Scripture to remember who God is and that he's active in my life and in my family's life and in the life of this church. That's why I read it. That's why I, I give an hour to that every day because it's crucial for me. And so I would encourage you, find time in your day. Find an hour. Find 30 minutes tithe your time to God. Whatever that looks like. Maybe it's in the evening. Maybe it's in the middle of the day. Maybe it's at night. I, whatever works. But find time. Find a moment where you say, God, this is yours. This is my first and my best, and it's yours. Just come and speak to me. This has been the most transformational practice of my entire Christian walk, tithing my time to God. And I guarantee that if you give of yourself in that way, God will meet you there guarantee. So the practice of, of prayerfully reading scripture is an excellent way to focus our minds on the things of Jesus, but it's one of many. So we start with scripture, and then we continue with Christian community. Start with scripture, continue with Christian community. 
Um, so bringing home kind of the point that Pastor Chris made a couple weeks ago about kind of lining our, he, he said, if we were to line our kids up, split them down the middle, put some kids over here, put some kids over here, we would say to these kids over here, hey, you've got like a pretty good shot of uh, following Jesus for the most part. You guys, there's no hope for you. Sorry. That happened to me in high school. A teacher walked into our classroom, split us down the middle, put some over here and some over here, and he looked at my side of the room, and he said, there's a 50, 40 to 50% chance that in five years, none of you will be following Jesus. And I almost laughed at him. I, I almost wanted to scoff at him because I was like, bro, you don't know me. You don't know my friends. Like, we're for sure going to be following Jesus in five years. That's absolutely what's going to happen. I was like, don't, I felt like it was a scare tactic to try to get me to believe in something. But unfortunately, I can tell you now that many of the friends who are standing in that line are not following Jesus. And, and I, the only reason I bring that back up is to drive home the point that, that what we're dealing with, the stakes are very real. That we're dealing with an eternal type of thing. A kingdom of God type of thing. That shouldn't be ignored. So, hearing that, a friend in high school and I, we were like, you know what, that's not going to be us. And we're going to make sure that it's not us. So we're going to start doing something about it. So we got together, and we said, Tuesday mornings, 6 a.m., we're going to come to school early, and we're, gonna, we're just going to pray. I'm going to bring my guitar. We'll sing some songs. We'll read scripture together, and we'll pray with each other. And we'll just invite friends, see if they want to come. So at first, it was just him and I. We were doing this thing, no big deal. And then it grew. Five people came. I was like, whoa, this is great. And then 10 people came. And then 20 came. And then we were running like 60. These were high school. There were no adults there. High schoolers just showing up to, to get to know Jesus at 6 a.m. on Tuesday. So we were blown away by this. But there were like 20 of us that were at the core of this, the 20 of us that were kind of leading this charge. And I love that I get to say this next part. Every one of those 20 students are still following Jesus today. They are still my friends, and they still love Jesus. And you know, not all of them are serving in full-time church ministry either. I mean, a couple of them are, like me. But some of them are serving in ministry in, in uh, medical fields and in, in uh, corporate America and in uh, the military. I mean, they're all over the place. And they are serving in ministry to Jesus. And I know for a fact that, it, that a lot of it started when we got together and created a community. Because in this community, I learned that, pr that prayer was important. I learned that fasting was important. I learned that God could actually speak to me on a regular basis. I learned that he was involved in my real life. I, I learned that if I had questions about God that, that scared me, I didn't necessarily have to find the answers to them, but I had to ask them. And I learned that in Christian community. I learned that alongside of my friends who were passionate about following Jesus. And it changed me, and it still changes me. This is why I believe that the church exists in the first place. Because we are not meant to do this alone. Like, if Jesus didn't do ministry alone, then no one should. I mean, he did it in the context of community. So should we. And this is why, going back to what Jennifer said earlier, volunteering in small groups. Coming, if you're, if, you're, if you're a kid in high school or junior high, come to youth group. Come hang out with me and Sarah, who's not here, but is awesome and would love to hang out with you. If, you. if you feel God tugging on your heart, get involved in this church. Christian community has the, impact, has the effect to change your life. 
but it will only give you what you give into it. Whatever you put into it is what you'll receive. And that's hard because that requires being vulnerable, that requires being honest, and that requires getting into the lives of other people and letting them get into your life. And I'm not saying that that's easy, but I'm saying that it's worth it, that it is so worth it. So if this is your church home, get involved. We exist to be a resource for you. We exist to, to support you and your family's spiritual growth. We will champion it as, as much as we possibly can. And we want to see you succeed in the life of Jesus. So as I mentioned earlier, life with Jesus um, is one in community, but it's also one where we are truly, intimately known, forgiven, and loved. May we be a church that intimately knows each other and consistently forgives each other and constantly loves each other. May we be that kind of church. So lastly, learn to integrate integrity. Learn to integrate integrity. So first we start with scripture, continue with Christian community, and then we learn to integrate integrity. With every yes, there's a no. Right? With every action, there's one not made. With every path that we take, there's one not traveled. So in following Jesus, there are intrinsic no's that we're saying. The more we say yes to God, there are more no's in our life. And to bring this home a little bit, I want to read out of Philippians chapter 1. Paul says something to the Philippian church that is, is, is powerful but kind of hard to hear. He says this. Only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of the king. In your translation in ESV, it might say, let, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The Greek here is really tricky, but Paul is trying to bring home the fact that we are citizens of a worthy king and his gospel must be upheld. And you know, it's easy to say that, but it's harder to follow through when you're in a dishonoring conversation or you're alone with just your computer and iPod to keep you company it's, it's more difficult to follow Jesus when you're alone very difficult to follow Jesus when you're alone which is why the practice of integrity and accountability are crucial to the life of faith absolutely crucial my wife Kelsey is my closest friend my closest confidant. When I sin, she knows about it. When I mess up in relationship, she knows about it. When I go on the, when I say yes to a no in God's world, she knows about it. My best friend, the one who started the, the remnant group with me, um, is, is a missionary in North Africa, and he still once a month calls me or texts me and asks, What are you getting out of scripture? What are you learning? Who are, you, who are you talking to about Jesus? He doesn't assume that I, because I work at a church that I'm cultivating a life with Jesus. And I don't assume that just because he's a missionary in North Africa that he's cultivating a life with Jesus. We still pursue each other. And the reason my wife is the first person to point me toward grace and reconciliation is because she knows me as a citizen of a king who is worthy of the gospel. She sees me in that light. And she's constantly pushing me that way. And I'm constantly pushing her that way. But it's hard to do when you're fully known because it takes vulnerability once again. 
but do it anyway. Go there anyway. Because in that context, man, lives are changed. Having integrity is not maintaining a good appearance in front of others. It is owning your own brokenness and joyfully embracing the grace of God. Having integrity requires that we say no to the things that are not of God or avenues that lead away from God. And integrity is knowing our own limits and maintaining faithfulness in the face of adversity. See, integrity isn't all about saying no. It's also realizing that we can't say yes to everything either. And we need something to fall back onto. So I I said this already, but I'll say it again. Life with Jesus is one in community, but it's also one where we are truly and intimately known, forgiven, and loved. So as we come to a close here, I want to talk about the question that I brought up at the very beginning. How do we connect our intentions to our actions in our walk with Jesus? What does that look like? We talked about three ways today, starting with Scripture. Reading Scripture to remember. Reading Scripture to be remembered into the family of God. Cultivating Christian community. Continuing with Christian community. Constantly putting people in your sphere, in your, in your life, that will push you towards Jesus and care about your life and walk with Jesus. And lastly, living a life of integrity. Living a life on purpose. Living a life that when you mess up, you have someone to graciously forgive you and push you toward Jesus. This is not an exhaustive list. This isn't the the end-all, be-all of lists of following Jesus, but it's a good start. And the reason I say it's a good start is because it has affected my real life. And I've seen these practices affect the lives of other real people who are serious about following Jesus. And this sermon series is all about Kung Fu Seals. Like, what if we equipped our, the next generation with, with a passionate love for Jesus? Absolutely. I am all about that. But what if we were the models of that? Like, what if we changed our hearts and modeled that for our kids? What if the reason the next generation is on fire for Jesus is because we started the flame? So go back to me, go back with me to that room. 6,000 high schoolers, 700 junior highers. What if we left and heaven went with us? What if we left this room and heaven went with us? What if experiencing God wasn't just a moment, but was a lifestyle? What would the world look like? What would it be? Who would we be? These questions are not too far-fetched. They are not out of reach for our God, but the beauty of our God is that he works with us, that we have a part to play in the lives of our kids, in, in the lives of coworkers and families and spouses, and anyone who knows us to be following Jesus. What if we were to live in such a way that if God didn't exist, our lifestyle wouldn't make sense? What if, they were to, what if we were to live joyously shouting the existence of God? This sermon in this series is a launching pad. It's the beginning, not an end. So as we end this series, start cultivating these practices in your life. Start taking seriously the things of Jesus and see where it goes, see how it changes, see how it shifts. Pray with me. Father, it is good to be in your presence. It is good to be in your kingdom. 
God, I ask that today you would inspire our hearts into action, that you would connect our intentions to actions, and that we would start living out the lifestyle of Jesus in the world today. That we would put into the practices, we would put into practice reading scripture and hanging out with Christians that spur us on to be more like Jesus and, and being more accountable to more people so that we would honor you more fully. God, I, I pray that we would be excellent examples to the next generation and that the next generation would start to rise up and be passionately filled with the Holy Spirit and, and preach the gospel and, and go forth into the world and make disciples. God, I pray that you would start it, you would start it now and you would start it here in our hearts. So God, have your way in this place, and may you be glorified in all things. In Christ's holy name, amen. I also want to say before you go, that if you would like prayer for anything, there's a space in the back here where where people would be willing and ready to pray for anything you may have. So please have a great week, and may God bless you.